right, let's study God's Word here for a few minutes. And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and run down 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to be reading from in just a moment. We've been doing a series that I entitled Churchquake because I believe God is shaking His church up in order to get us prepared as He will begin to shake the world up. And uh, He will begin to receive the harvest that's His heart because God will will get what he wants. And so we've been talking about what that means for us. And uh, I mentioned to you that there's no way I can review everything. I've tried to do that in the past. And then what happens is, as we get farther into the series, you get longer and longer sermons. So if you, uh, if you want to catch up, you can go to the website and hit iTunes and you can catch up with all that we have shared up to this place. But basically, we've been talking about the role of apostolic leadership and apostolic anointing and, and, and why that's important in the life of the church. What does it mean for you? What does it mean for me? Does it have any relevance in your life at all? Is it just some doctrinal stuff that really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of life? And it's great that we might believe it, but does it really mean something to me when I have to get up tomorrow morning and go to work and do all the things that is required of me? Is anything you're about ready to say have any specific application to my personal life? And the answer is yes. So I, I'm asking that you get ears to hear and you get eyes to see because it could be there might be something that's shared this morning that may unlock a gap in your understanding that once it's filled, it will make sense and it will become the bridge by which the Holy Spirit can move across in order that you might see God's dealings, His miracles, His blessings, His work just take place in your life. How many of you want God to work in your life like that? I sure do. I want, I want the goodness of God to flow into my life. I want that for your life too, but we need to be sure that uh, we're positioned in order for Him to do that. Tomorrow is October the 31st, and it's not only Halloween, which probably most of the world uh, knows and is preparing for. From what I understand, I just heard that it is quickly uh, approaching and eclipsing Christmas as the most celebrated holiday in our culture. And I think there was even an article in the paper today that, that was just stating some of the reasons why that may be. And my, my purpose is not to go that direction. But most people don't realize that October the 31st is not only Halloween, but it's also Reformation Day. I'm having a Reformation Day party tomorrow. Not really. I was telling the folk Wednesday night, Reformation Day was actually the day, October the 31st in 1517. Martin Luther posted his 95 Theses on the castle door of Wittenberg, and he listed all of the reasons he felt like the sale and the working of indulgences was a corruption of the work of the church. And it was there that historians pinpoint the beginning of what we now know as the Protestant Reformation. So for those of us that embrace Protestantism, that would be our birth date, October the 31st, 1517. And when Luther... Uh, pinned that, that 95 theses. And when he received revelation in that era that the just shall live by faith, literally, he got the re uh, revelation that we needed to be born again. And that you could access God and receive His forgiveness, not through a man, but you could actually go to God on your own. 
and receive forgiveness for your sins and, and be justified and regenerated and adopted. When he received that revelation, it not only changed church history and it not only changed uh, people's lives and believers' lives, but most folks don't realize that it changed all of Germany. In fact, it not only changed Germany, but it leapt over into Zwingli in Switzerland, and it changed all of Switzerland. And it changed countries and nations, and, and most people don't realize that, that the Reformation fires of 1517 spread across Europe, and it became the theological underpinnings for uh, the Puritans and the pilgrims who came across the ocean and established colonies here in America. Do you realize without the Protestant Reformation, America would not be the America we have today? And that's because God sent revelation in the earth. And that revelation had a lot of practical ramification. We would not, and I realize in America we have a lot of problems right now, but if you, if you can think of the, the, the good aspects of our nation, and if you can think of the godly aspects of our nation, we can trace that back to Martin Luther posting a treatise on a castle door and the reason why we're gathered in this church worshiping freely, yet still. The reason we're doing what we're doing today and we're raising our hands and we're accessing God and we're believing He's here today is because a guy posted some theses on a castle door in Germany. That's pretty practical. That's Reformation Day. Started in Germany. And I think... If it's not ironic, I think really it's maybe providential and certainly paradoxical that there's not only Halloween and now Reformation Day, but there are some segments of the church, and whether you agree with this or not, it just is, it is what it is, that they celebrate on the 31st All Saints Day. It's mostly a Catholic day where they sort of venerate uh, you know, the saints of the ages, and unfortunately, it has sort of dovetailed into some of the Halloween stuff. And I'm not here again to pick at that, except to say that, um, that there are so many things that go on, on October the 31st that I began to ask myself the question, is there any significance to all of this? And I believe there is. And I believe it came by the Spirit. Two prophetic points I want to make before we just leap into what I want to share. Number one, the powers of darkness want to overshadow and drown out the need for reformation. You see, we will celebrate an old pagan druid holiday called Halloween, once known as Samhain. And again, I, I, I can't get into all of it. I've, I've, I've taught on this stuff before. But my point simply being is this. I, I realize it's cute. Maybe you just do cute things. It's, I'm, not, I'm not here to tackle that today. I'm just here to say that some of the roots of Halloween are found in, in pagan, Samhain, Druid worship. And, and I just started thinking about how you have this and how you have Reformation Day. And it just seemed ironic that on one day we find the forces of darkness wanting to contend with Reformation celebration. I just, as I was just before the Lord, I felt like the Spirit of the Lord just was showing me that the forces of darkness want to keep us powerless. They want to keep us in the realm of the natural. For if we stay in the natural, we will be defeated. 
You understand, if, if all I got is what you see, it ain't much. You can even chuckle at that point. You see, but if we get supernatural power back moving in our lives again, how many of you know that the devil's in trouble? I mean, if we move in the power of God, the enemy, the enemies serve notice. And if reformation occurs, think about this. If reformation occurs, just as Luther's transformed Germany, if reformation comes to us again in the body, in the church, in America, it will change our nation. Yes, it will. That's why God is shaking some things. He's wanting to reform some things. Because if he can reform his church, he can change a nation. And then number two is this. I believe the spirit of religion will unite with those demonic forces to minimize the need for reformation. Just as All Saints Day has segued into sort of this amalgamated, uh, 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 you know, synergy of, of Halloween, I believe that the spirit of religion is uniting with demonic forces and, and what it does is it tries to just keep batting down everything and anything in our knowledge or within our view that would remind us that God wants to do a work of renewal and change and reformation. There's a false unity, folks, today. You know, I, I believe in unity and I know all the passages you could quote me on it. And I believe that there is a true unity, but unity, unity is founded on truth. Unity is not founded because we just like each other. Unity is founded on the basis of truth. And there is a false unity. There is a false ec ecumenism in America today. It's false. It's false. I I'll just give you an example. I know there's been uh, recently kind of a dust-up in the political realm over Mitt Romney and uh, the Baptist pastor in Dallas, Pastor Jeffress, who apparently made a remark concerning Romney's Mormonism. And the remark had to do with whether Mormons were Christians. Now, I'm, I'm not, again, I've got so many things I want to share, and this might interest you, but this isn't where I'm landing today. I'm just giving you some bullet points. Bullet point being this, that the quick answer is that Pastor Jeffress was right. But you see, we, we, we've got this, this tolerant ecumenism in America that we can't even we can't even banter about theology and doctrine without somehow somehow being looked at as being weird and outlandish. I'll just tell you, in Mormonism, you have to understand that the divinity of Christ is reduced. In other words, we believe as as Orthodox, historic Protestant Christians, we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man, 100% God and 100% man. That's the mystery of the incarnation. Now, in Mormonism, that's not how it works. In Mormonism, Jesus is a brother to Lucifer. Yeah, okay, I know, nobody tells you this stuff. It's there, Go, just go study it. Their authority isn't from the Bible, which we understand to be superintended by the Holy Spirit through not only the inspiration aspects, but through the transmission uh, processes. But there's three books. In fact, in the paper today, in Faith and Values, you will read, uh, to Adam Parker's credit, he interviewed another Mormon, and, and they told him exactly that they get their doctrine from three other places, the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, 
and doctrines and covenants. Folks, this is God's word. This is God's word. They're polytheistic in their understanding, which means that we believe in one God. We believe in one God that manifests himself in three personalities. They believe in three separate gods. That's polytheism. The Holy Spirit is not viewed as God within Mormonism. The Holy Spirit is more of an impersonal force, more of an energy. He becomes an it. And I just share with you these just quick little bullet points. I could go on and on and on. But I share this with you because we're living in an age where when you begin to just declare orthodox Christianity and it, and it comes at odds with other things that people just want to be tolerant and get along with, all of a sudden, we're the weird ones. It's not all Christian. It's not. It absolutely isn't. And so I'm sharing these things to you now. Is that to say that Mormon folk don't have values and maybe similar values? I'm sure they do. I'm not even making a case as to whether you ought to vote or not vote for Mitt Romney. I haven't even gotten to that point. I'm just saying that theologically they do not fit within the flow of Orthodox Christianity. And that defines you, yes, as a cult. Now, sociologically, they may not be a cult. They're, I don't say they're Jim Jones or some crazy, you know, acid, coke-taking cult that gets their vibes from God because they're smoking meth or something like that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying theologically, they are not on the same page as historic Christianity. But we live in a day where instead of reformation, we practice assimilation. We, 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 we want everyone to say, we're all Christians. We're all, we're just, we're all worshiping the same God. We're all going to the same heaven. All dogs go to heaven, which, by the way, I do believe anyway. But nonetheless, we just, we're, we, we, we all, we're just, we just all need to be tolerant and get along. And the spirit of religion is dousing the flames of reformation in this land. Now, you got to get this in your spirit. So an apostolic anointing comes to the church to bring the needed reformation. And out of that reformation, we'll seize nations. Listen to me. If, if, if 180 million people, as latest statistics tell us, are truly Christian in America, we would not be having the problems we have today in America. You couldn't have 180 million people practicing Orthodox Christianity and we face what we face in this nation. You say, well, what's the answer? Reformation is the answer. Because once his church is reformed, it will affect the nation. How is it reformed? Apostolic anointing. Must one more time come to the church of Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't going to happen without some battles and challenges. And I just want to read this real quick. And I know I'm on the clock. I'm not usually on the clock. If you're a guest with us today, I am long-winded. But because I know the kids are with us, it's fair day. And I'm just feeling really happy because I got some money, I think, in that envelope. I just be truthful. That's what we do here. We're just truthful. Just truthful. So if you're visiting today, you came on a great day. 
I've got a great disposition today. I'm going to read this real quick. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Now remember, it's the Apostle Paul who's writing these things to a church at Corinth. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. In other words, you can't get mad, you can't get angry, you can't spew venom, you can't slap people, you can't hit them, you can't stab them. You can't. That's the flesh. We do not war, we do not war in the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I'm just talking today, it will be relevant, hopefully, on what I've entitled Apostolic Warfare and Breakthrough. Apostolic Warfare and Breakthrough. I do not believe that we have fully understood the scope of our commission as given by the Lord. Last week I, I read to you the great commission to disciple nations, to teach them, meaning nations, to observe all that Jesus has commanded. I'm not sure we've grasped the significance and the size of that. Most biblical precept, I understand because of the era we live in, is only applied personally. For most of us in the room this morning, and I'm not, I'm not crawling your case, it's just the way it is. Most of us will listen to a message, and this is what we'll say. We'll say, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to me? Now, it's not bad, but it's just usually how we first approach things. What does it mean to me? But we've got to break out of that for just a moment, because while that commission certainly is personal, and while that is a legitimate question for you to ask, it's not the only one to ask. Because truth of the matter is, it's not just about you, and it's not just about me, but it's also about this region. It's also about this city. It's also about our state. It's also about our nation. It has far broader application than just you or your house. You see, the gospel was meant to penetrate and redeem regions. You can't talk Great Commission unless you realize that places like Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Antioch, Galatia, Rome, Lystra, Iconium, Athens, Troas, Greece, Miletus, Macedonia, and on the list goes, had to be penetrated by the gospel. And they were penetrated by the gospel by an apostolic anointing. Now, what Paul was referring to in our text was not just an individual's mindset. Now, what I just read to you, you need to read, and, and certainly you need to apply this to your own life. You need to cast down arguments and high things. You need to pull out strongholds from your personal life. That's why we do Encounter, by the way. Encounter in January, you need to be there because we will help you personally do that. But I want to remind you that there are strongholds and high things in our city. There are strongholds and high things in regions, in states, in territories. 
that must be rooted out and broken for the gospel to move freely and effectively in those areas. Organizational structure and management theory for church growth may have a place. But Paul says that ultimately you and I are going to have to have something mighty in God in order for us to break through a region. You can go to a conference and you can hear all the latest, greatest, best, glitziest, you know, newest books, ideas, structures, all sorts of things. That's nothing more than the natural flesh at work. You and I got to get something mighty in God. I'm telling you, you have family members right now that, that they're smart and you've tried everything in the natural you know to do to reach them. And nothing's worked. Why is that? It's because you need something mighty in God. You've got family members. You've got neighbors. Let's just broaden it. We've got a city. We've got a region. We've got a state and we've got a nation. That we need something mighty in God to open it up to the effectiveness of the gospel. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've been thinking about Charleston. I've been thinking about the, the tri-county area. And you know, interestingly, we have many of the same features and characteristics of that first century church. It's interesting, Paul visited many seaport cities. Charleston is a seaport city. In most of those seaport cities, there were powerful forces of witchcraft, idolatry. I figure if I hit Mormonism today, I might as well hit Freemasonry too. Figure if I've offended any potential Mormon sympathizers, I'll get the Masons now. I won't really go after you because like I said, I'm feeling good. But there's idolatry in this stuff. We have an area that's filled with Caribbean voodoo. With all, of, with all of this going on behind the scenes in darkness. And then we think that our superficial, ecumenical aspects of Christianity, which is really Christianity light. And we think somehow, you know, if we all just kind of get along and, and we gather up and, and we sing Kumbaya and... And all of a sudden, just the forces of darkness will go, ooh, they sang kumbaya, and they just run off. Ooh, they're be I mean, we think that just because we're the holy city, I roll, that somehow or another that, that brings down these powerful forces. Let me tell you something. I, and of course, you talk to any pastor, they'll tell you this no matter where they pastor. They'll think their area is the hardest area in the world to, to preach the gospel. Well, they're, they're partly true and, and, and they're partly not true. It is true because every area has strongholds in it that have to be broken. They have high things that have exalted itself against the knowledge of God that have to be torn down. And our city is no different. It's a lovely city. It's a beautiful city. I, you know, it took me a while, but I actually like living here now. But there's a day I didn't like it. But I really kind of like it now. And I think it is a beautiful city. And I think it has such great potential. And, and, and all of the things we all might agree with in the natural, but our city still needs Jesus. See, still needs Jesus. And the fact of the matter is Charleston has avoided both 
of the major great awakenings that swept through this nation. You've heard me tell the story of when George Whitfield, who was the personality associated with the first great awakening, when he was traveling itinerantly up and down the eastern coast uh, in the early 1700s, he stopped in Charleston, South Carolina. He was uh, initially uh, invited to preach in some of the churches in the downtown area. After they heard what he had to say, then he was disinvited quickly. In fact, what happened was is that there was a gathering of people who so disliked him They actually drummed up a charge and they got him thrown in jail for three days in Charleston, South Carolina. Yes, George Whitfield. Three days he sat in a Charleston jail until finally some sympathizers were able to bail him out. He would later write in his journals the words that the greatest opposition he ever faced in all of his ministry, itinerantly in the early 1700s, was what he faced in Charleston, South Carolina. And he was literally swept out of town at night by those sympathizers. He was taken to John's Island. He preached for a time on John's Island where a Presbyterian church now actually exists due to the work that Whitfield did so many hundreds of years ago. But Charleston, per se, missed the first great awakening. It missed it. Wesley's came here. Both Charles and John Wesley came here. Charles, in his journals, would write, I've read the actual journals, where he said that some of the most despicable evils he ever saw perpetrated by those who said they were Christians upon the Africans, he would call them. He said it was the, it was the most despicable evil he ever saw happen here in Charleston, South Carolina. It's an amazing thing about the Lord, though. When he gets something on his mind, he's relentless. In 1857, he sent another revival on Anson Street. There, a guy by the name of John uh, uh, Gerardo, a Presbyterian minister, was preaching. And God sent revival into that little mission church downtown, not far from Citadel Square Baptist, by the way. He sent a little revival down there, and it began to catch some steam. And there was a guy by the name of Jeremiah Lanfear who attended those meetings in Charleston. And they lasted approximately eight weeks. And then, of course, due to the, I believe, the, the oppressive forces that are in our region, began to douse it out. Jeremiah Lanfear took it back to New York City where he gathered businessmen at the noon hour to have lunch and prayer. They literally prayed a revival into New York City that eventually became what we now know as the Second Great Awakening. But the Second Great Awakening had its roots on Anson Street in Charleston, South Carolina. But Charleston, one more time, missed an awakening. A Baptist pastor by the name of R.G. Lee. Many of you have heard the name of R.G. Lee. He was a famous Baptist pastor. In fact, his most famous message was the message, Payday Sunday. Probably more people have been won to the Lord off of Payday Sunday than any singular message in all of Christendom. He pastored, interestingly, he did pastor Citadel Square Baptist Church. But he was pushed out. Several years ago, Louis Palau wanted to do a crusade in Charleston. He had such success just up the road in Myrtle Beach. This couldn't have been but about a decade ago. But when they tried to set it all up, they couldn't muster any support here. And according to the paper, he said it was the hardest place he had ever been. And he's been to Brazil and Argentina and Europe and Africa. He's been all over the world. And he's quoted as saying it's the hardest place he'd ever been. 
that, folks, is our history in Charleston, South Carolina. See, now I'll say anything. You're going to find out today. I'll say anything. There are a bunch of Episcopalians trying to push out Bishop Mark Lawrence right now. Some of you read that in the paper. Seems to be a godly man to me. I don't know all that's going on, but I know enough to know this. I know Episcopalians are struggling right now, whether they're going to adhere to the book or whether they're going to be trendy. And now they're pushing him out. There's a spirit here. There's a stronghold here. It almost took me and my house out. But I guess I'm just wired for a beating. I am. I just know too much history. And I just, I guess I'm wired a little hard-headed. And maybe God needs somebody that's not just anointed, but a little hard-headed. And like Luther of old, I will say this. Here I stand. I can do no other. I tell you all of this because in a very practical way, it's going to take something unique or different to crack our region. See, this isn't just about growing a church. Growing a church? I think a church should grow. I I would love for legacy just to bloom and expand and blossom and blow the doors off. Don't misunderstand. I, I think that represents people whose lives are changed. I understand that. But do you understand, if that's the end game, it's the wrong game. We've got a region that needs awakening. We have been assigned here. To crack our region with awakening and revival. We can't do what's been done. If what's done was enough, we wouldn't be where we are today. What we need is apostolic breakthrough. How did the first century church break into these pagan, heathen, demonic strongholds? There was apostolic anointing that broke into those places. And the gospel began to be rooted and flourish and take hold. It's interesting, uh, the word stronghold, the Greek is kurama. It actually means a cemented in place. A castle, a fortress, or interestingly, out of vines, it will use the word citadel. Now, uh, hear me, I'm not suggesting the citadel is a, is a stronghold in the sense that spiritually something's wrong. I mean, uh, that may or may not be the case. I'm simply suggesting that we have a historic landmark that declares to everyone who comes to the holy city, we got a stronghold here. We got a stronghold here. Now, how does that work practically? And I'm coming to the end. Got three quick things. I mean, this will be really fast. How does all this work practically? Number one, effective churches and people will be in what I call apostolic order. Apostolic order. Now, what does that mean? I started to think about how many times Paul said in his letters, or he implied to the churches, that he would come, and oftentimes he said, I will come shortly and I will put this in order. I will come to you and I will put this in order. I will be there shortly and I will put this in order. It wasn't because that Paul was just an organizational freak. He understood, he understood apostolic wineskin and structure that was a conduit through which the power of God can move. You know, God isn't obligated to move through everything. God only moves through divine design. Isn't there a, like an HGTV show? I want you every Candace Olsen got revelation. Yes, you must have divine design. 
Because when you have divine design, then the power of God can be conduited through that in order that his work may be accomplished. And, and I say this with all purity. And again, I'll just go back to the size of a church has nothing to do with the anointing to change the spiritual atmosphere of a region. Now, I want you to look around the room. I mean, we got a, we got a good crowd here today. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you for coming here. You have a lot of choices, a lot of options. I know that. I appreciate you being here with me today, listening to me, have my say, and hopefully preaching the Word of God to you at the same time. I appreciate that very much. But let me just say, as you look around the room, there is enough of the stuff available in God that we literally in this room can change the entire spiritual landscape of this region. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. God isn't looking... For the largest army, sweet Jesus, when Gideon fought that, he trimmed him down from 32,000 to 300. When David wanted to number his army, the word says that it was Satan that was moving him. God doesn't care about nose counting. He cares about how many are ready to be the conduit through which his power can move. Because one person can change a whole lot. If one will send a thousand to flight and two 10,000, you understand God's math. I mean, it, it, it gets exponential in a hurry. Okay, so we've got to find apostolic order. And, and, and in many, many ways, we do have apostolic order here. And, and, and we may touch on this some more in the future. But number two, we need to have vision beyond just church growth and personal need. How many of you know a pastor probably would like church growth? And how many of you know people like their needs met? Isn't that true? I mean, it's not a trick question. I mean, I mean, we like things to grow and we want our needs met. No problem with these things. But our eyes must be lifted to the purposes of God beyond what's in it for us. That isn't even a Christian question. Well, what's in it for me? Well, there'll be a blessing there somewhere. Probably not exactly like you expected but but god's good to bless his folk when they're in the middle of his will but the but the point is i'm not in it to get something i'm in it because i'm obedient and i want the will of god and i gotta see something beyond just my own satisfaction and my own ego or my own need or my own aspirations or my own desire we all must see that i have had prophecies that have come to me personally and every time I heard it, I just sort of ducked because they didn't know. I mean, this is why you know it's the Lord. They, they had no idea what was going on in my life. And on a couple different occasions, I had people prophesy to me, Oh, thus saith the Lord, you will be like a Whitfield, and you will do, and this or that, and all the other. And I thought, oh, sweet Jesus, I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail. That's what it means. That's what it means. That's what a lot of people, they hear things and they instantly they think about it. They think they're going to be on, they're going to be on TV and they're going to be a millionaire and it's going to be great and it's going to be a blessing. And the whole time they don't realize that God's going to send his word and then he's going to try you with it. <laughs> I guess time will tell if all that happens. If you ever see me in jail, I guess you'll know that prophecy was fulfilled. But listen to me for a moment. I, I, I've worked through several things with regards to us 
you know, building a new building on John's Island, and why did you choose John's Island? And I can tell you how hard it is to find property in, in the middle of an urban area, and I can tell you how churches aren't selling, you know, their buildings in order that another church can buy it. I can tell you all those sorts of things, but I'll tell you what God has settled in my spirit. That he, he is picking up where Whitfield had to leave off. And he's going to raise something up south of town here on John's Island. Because you see, maybe I've had people say, well, I don't know that that's the best position to grow. This ain't about growing a church. This is about changing a landscape spiritually. So you got to get a hold of this. See, if you don't get this revelation, then you won't drive to John's Island. See, what you'll do is you'll drive wherever it's convenient. Because it's about you getting your need met. Now, I understand you need your need met. Don't misunderstand. But if that's the only level you're at, that's what you'll do for the rest of your life. And we all know Charleston. Dear God, Charleston, you can't get people to drive over a bridge unless they pack for the day a suitcase. Lord, I grew up in the Midwest. We drive an hour to go to church. We drive an hour to do this or an hour to do that. They don't do that here my Lord, people up in Somerville, I even talk to them at times. If they come down like to West Ashley, it's almost like they have to pack a cooler and a suitcase. And, you know, they have to make sure the car's filled up and check the oil and, you know, stop the mail at their house. I've never seen things like this in all my It's just you're driving across a bridge. I'm just so far, you know, so far. Lord, you'll spend money on your fuel to do anything you want. Come on now, you know I'm up your tree now. Lord, have mercy. If I were to give you some freebie, you know, just something that was free that you wanted, to, you would jump in that car, you'd burn the fuel, you'd be there in a heartbeat. But you see, you got to get beyond. You got to you got you got to allow God to really get inside of you and begin to enlarge your look. I'm talking to Christians today that got to get out of the kiddie pool, and you got to get towards the deep end. And you may not be just ready to dive into the deep end, but you got to start wading, and you got to move out from this little kiddie pool. It's just, it's, it's about me. It's about me. Watch me, mommy. Watch me. Watch what I'm doing. And you got, we got to get out of this stuff in the church where we're just, we're just listening to this superficial tripe and we got to get back to the deep things of God and get back to the power of God. We got a region to crack. And if it costs me just a little bit of fuel, it's a small price to do my part in functioning in the purposes of God. Amen. See, I get in this place and I don't even, I hear amens here and there, but I'm in the zone right now. Come on now. To connect with legacy, listen to me. To connect with legacy is to recognize you're not connecting to just a church that wants to grow. You're connecting to a landscape changer. I mean, it's just not that. I mean, yes, the church will grow, but we, we are about change. Listen, the whole nation may go to hell, but Charleston doesn't have to if we're doing our job. So we got to get a vision beyond this stuff. Vision beyond just growing something in our own personal. And then finally, number three. And I'm done. We got to be powerful in both strategy and in the supernatural. I hang out with a group 
of lawyers that's called the Alliance Defense Fund. These guys are smart, smart, smart. Sharp, and their whole purpose is to defend churches like ours, medium, middle-sized churches, small churches, because, because our churches don't have the resource to handle hostility from the culture or from the government. And so the ADF is there in order to help us in, in First Amendment freedoms to be able to stand and not be intimidated. And these guys are as sharp as they come. Aren't you glad that there are good, godly Christian lawyers out there that are looking at churches just like ours and saying, you, you speak the truth and we'll stand behind you. We will be the intellectual firepower for you if you need us. Or someone takes you to court, we will be there. And I'm glad. It's not that I, you know, my God is my, ultimately my lawyer. But, but it's nice to have some in flesh and blood. Smart guys, smart guys. But can I just say this? The one thing, and I love these guys. But they tend to come from, you know, those backgrounds where they're more dispensational or cessationist in their viewpoint. And so they don't make a lot of room for the power of God. I mean, they're smart as tax. But, but it's not like they make room for the power of God. Now, now hear me. Our circles, I want to say this really lovingly. We believe in the power of God. But sometimes we check our brains out at the door. There has to be a merging. Of these two things. We, we've got we've to merge to where, where we're as wise as serpents. But we're as harmless as doves. That we're sharp and we're smart. And we understand what's at stake. And we do our best to learn. But at the same time, don't diminish the fact that God can move in power. It's not one or the other. It can literally be both. We must have both. God wants to use it all. And God is calling, I believe, smart, sharp folk. And, and he, wants to, he wants to challenge you to break out of that natural realm and begin to make room for the power of God in your life. And listen to me, he's talking to those of us who have believed in the power of God and we love the power of God to begin to sharpen up. Sharpen up our wisdom and our understanding and the word in us. So that together we can, we can form an incredible, powerful army that can begin to crack our region. I mean, you can have the most powerful army in the world, but if your generals are stupid, it doesn't matter how big your cannon is. You can have the biggest, and we do, don't we? We got the biggest cannon in the universe. It's called Holy Ghost. But most of us, we're just shooting the cannon off. Because you've got to have a little strategy to go on with your firepower. I'm going to stop right there. Some of you need breakthrough. I know, I know, I know the region needs breakthrough. This is what we're going to do. I want you to stand with me right now. We're going to stop.